Andy Farrell are you watching? Sport is so fickle and you know this more than anyone, Quinny. Like, you know, you're either on top of the world or you're down in the doldrums. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Hello there, great show lined up for you on this Monday evening. Joe Malloy with you. It's fair to say the Allianz Football League got off to a lively start, not least in Crow Park Saturday night. So we're going to talk to Billy Joe Padden this hour. Meanwhile, we are five days out from the 2022 Six Nations. Andy Dunn in studio, Rory O'Connor in studio. On the football show, meanwhile, after nine, Pat Nevin as Frank Lampard takes the helm at Goodison Park and Miguel Delaney will wrap up transfer deadline day for us with any breaking news before 10. 53106 is the text number we are at off the ball on Twitter Richard McCormick evening Hey Joe and Owen Sheehan hello Evening Joe Evening Richie Very nice to have you on the news round Owen You are a good man I notice from my uh, viewing of OTBAM every morning half past seven a good man to get to events to get to sporting occasions so let's have it give us your weekend oh, the weekend was was pretty straightforward uh Armagh coming to Croke Park on our doorstep here you couldn't not go to see that one um and it would be a sin excited. not to go it would have been a sin absolutely uh, a beautiful evening a beautiful footballing team that are Armagh and uh, the storyline around the dubs which is just getting more and more fascinating had to go in that check them out in the flesh and then of course, Joe, your beloved Kildare. I had to go and see what they were all about in the post-Jack O'Connor era. It was just a coincidence that they were playing Kerry yesterday. Hmm. And uh, St. Connors Park, not such a, a crisp afternoon, uh, it's fair to say, but a proper league afternoon where you come home pretty smug with yourself that he got out of the house and went to the game. Well, there's great inci- excitement in Kildare for obvious reasons. I mean, it's the most box office, if you're of a certain vintage, the most box office management panel you could imagine in Glen Ryan, Dermot Early, Johnny Doyle Anthony Rainbow and then just a sprinkling of Paul Galvin on top and the locals were excited throwing was delayed it was it went back by about 15 minutes huge queues all the way out uh, Connets Park towards the the, the the pubs on the main street of Newbridge really which is uh, quite the amount of people for people who know the town there like I think half of that is down to the fact that St Connets Park is not in a, an amazing state to, to hold big crowds at the moment uh, and hopefully that redevelopment happens for them soon because they've got a hell of a team at the moment that they can get behind and the early signs especially in that second half are hugely encouraging I mean we heard last week from James O'Donoghue on the football pod what Paul Galvin can bring as a coach I think what he's going to bring in and as you mentioned that the sprinkling of Kildare legends there there is enough for this Kildare fan base to be very very excited about what's going to happen and to be honest with you that's not entirely removed from what we saw on Saturday night as well Mm. So I think with Billy Joe we'll talk a lot about the dubs and our man on Kerry we're all very interested as well where are they for you because McGrath Cup they beat the opposition by a combined 55 points across their uh, three games I think it was and there was a sense obviously Jack O'Connor is going to bring something to the party I heard the second half display in particular I was in here in studio so I didn't really I got to see highlights without seeing the full game and the highlights don't really work in GAA in particular because they just show the points so I mean everyone looks good all the time they don't show the uh, the more turgid passages of play so Kerry in the second half I heard in particular were average yeah, I think average is putting it kindly, to be honest with you. I think the results of Cork and Tipperary at the weekend show where the McGrath Cup is at at the moment. Munster football outside of Kerry and possibly Clare at the moment is in a pretty bad place. So I wouldn't be reading too much into that. First half, they looked great. Second half, they were bad. And one of the moments that weren't shown in the highlights, because I did catch that back uh, this afternoon, was this situation with 65 minutes 
on the clock there will be five minutes of added time so ten minutes to go Kerry are up by two points and they get to the halfway line and they stop and they go into sort of Dublin mode the, the lateral hand passing backwards over and if this goes on for I would say well over 60 seconds at this point People inside, the forwards inside, Clifford's still on the pitch at this point. Uh, Ganey's still on the pitch. No one necessarily showing for the ball inside. It's almost as if they were prepared to do this once they got into a two-point lead as opposed to going for the kill. They get turned over in the middle of the park, kill their score, and then, as we all know, they got one last opportunity with Jimmy Highlands to get the equaliser. That was the most disappointing part about the Kerry performance. Yes, there is a better defence that we're seeing now under Paddy Talley, a swarm defence, a Tig Morley sweeper, which seems to be working pretty well. But the other side of that coin, if we're going to overreact to yesterday, is that in attack they seem to have put a little bit of a straight jacket on. Okay. And I saw it's mentioned on the RT highlights, the Kerry half forward line all under 5'10". I like on a tight, heavy pitch in Connets Park, that's not going to suit men of that stature overly. Is that going to be the case come championship time? The big question about that is where Sean O'Shea will start. So yeah. there's every chance Sean O'Shea goes into the half-forward line once you have Dermot O'Connor and Jack Barry back. They're going to return this weekend. David Moran is injured. He won't be back till March at the very earliest. Kerry need to start preparing for life after David Moran anyway. So I think the Sean O'Shea experiment is a longer-term view. Okay. Played very well throughout the rest of January. Connell Spark is such a small pitch and with such a big breeze, he kind of got bypassed as the game went by. So I, I still think that the Sean O'Shea midfield thing is worth trying out. But again, if we're going to get into the overreaction mode, he didn't play well as a midfielder yesterday, so you automatically think he'll go back into the 45. So that brings the average height up a little bit. I'm not sure what height he is, but uh, he's over the six foot, I dare say. The most damning thing you said there is that at one point Kerry went into Dublin mode. Show some respect. Show some <laughs> respect. Well, it's, it's one thing going into Dublin mode if you can do a Dublin, say, 2018-2019 on it, but I don't think even Dublin themselves can can do that quite well at the moment, and I don't think it suits this Kerry team personally, given how good they were when they went direct last year and how bloody good their inside forwards are. You know, play to your strengths a little bit. I don't think it necessarily suits them. Richie, Dublin mode 2022, I mean, this makes things very interesting now, not least with Tralee on the horizon. Yeah, it's all over. Um, they might as well pack up and not compete in the rest of the league. Um, yeah, it was it was a very strange watch on on Saturday. I, I, I said it when I was on uh, with the Ireland AM lads there on Sunday that like Kieran McGinley's not going to be thinking Armagh are going to win in All Ireland or this no more than Desi Farrell is going to be thinking that it's um, it's a disaster. But there like there is more and more questions to be asked now about Dublin. There is a sense that the the aura that they've built up over the last decade or more is evaporating almost in a way that we saw with Manchester United at Old Trafford since Ferguson departed. There is that air that this conveyor belt that we all thought uh, that was going to come through with, with Dublin players to keep regenerating like some magnificent football manager, championship manager team online just hasn't mm-hmm. happened and won't happen because it's not human for stuff like that to, to keep going, it turns out. Um, and we're just kind of left wondering now what the championship is going to look like if Dublin aren't actually genuine all Ireland contenders they're going to be contenders you, you got to imagine later on in the season and there will be players coming back and they will improve as the year goes on mm. but that drift back towards the pack is very very real it's not just a suggested one anymore there's no sense that this is a, a COVID related thing and <clears throat> we'll have to wait until a real championship comes back around or a real league comes back around there now very is very much is the reality that they're coming back to the, to the pack which in some 
corners of the Dublin support will actually be reveled in because they were sick of the likes of us saying that they were overfunded and that they were going to win all Ireland's for the next decades to come but it now looks like it's going to be fairly interesting but it does have to have the very heavy caveat that it was a game in January and pretty early in, in proceedings as well and that not everybody is back and there's a certain mm. player like Conor Callaghan still to come back into that side so there's so many caveats you can add to it but things are interesting more than they have been in a Dublin sense and probably not in a good way for them than they have been in a decade Yes I think that's it. it's it exactly they're still very much all Ireland contenders but things have slipped it's off my cuff I have to say one of the reasons I wanted to watch the match in particular and then one of the reasons it really caught my eye is that I was very much one of those in full anticipation of a Dublin statement post Mayo I thought there's motivation there once again there's a lot of hurt there they've had a long off season to discuss and tease out the slippages that we saw last season and to rectify them very quickly instead arguably we saw more unforced errors than last year we saw more ill-discipline we saw stranger shot selection and even right out the gate Sean Bugler had two wides in the first seven minutes and Howard even though he scored it was from way out and so that, that did not suggest a team shooting from distance because they'd run out of ideas you know right out the gate they were shooting from distances we don't usually see they were for so long on just methodical in going through um, uh, you know, patterns of possession and working chances around the D and high percentage, high conversion chances. And, and so we're not used to seeing Dublin 13 wides with lots of Hail Marys thrown in and uh, lots of turnovers as well. I mean, a couple of, uh, you know, emphatic moments. Like, like I jotted down during the game, for instance, there was Kieran Kilkenny, you know, swallowed up at halfway at one point in a 2v1. And then there was a moment where Fenton was swallowed up in the edge of the D and he had to kick it backwards. And then John Small went in and he was surrounded and he dropped the ball and he was... He was fouled. That was on 33 minutes. Lots of these very emphatic turnovers. And then in defence, they looked at C for the goals. So, you, you know, you throw all that into the pot and uh, so many aspects there, big and small, were not tolerated under Jim Gavin. And we saw them beginning to bubble up a touch last year. And again, I echo Richie's caveat of first game in January, but they were all there again. You know, whatever work was done in the off-season, whatever talk was had in the off-season, they were all there again. That's why it's so fascinating. And I kind of expected the emphatic response as well, not least from the players outside of the spotlight over the last couple of years. An opportunity for some of those players to say, listen, this, this is our team now. We are not only competing to get on the match day 26, we're talking about getting starting jerseys now. This is our opportunity to actually show the, the hill back back at it again for the first time in a long time that we are going to take this jersey and we're going to make this team All-Ireland champions once again this year. And that will be the really disappointing thing is that the next men up just have shown so far that they aren't as good as, as some of the other substitutes they had in the past. That's a really obvious point to make, but I'm sure there was hope that, as Richie said, there was this conveyor belt that was gilded and that it was never going to let them down. But it turns out that actually the greatest generation of footballers of all time are actually pretty good and uh, there will naturally be a drop-off. I think there are two factors that Dublin can maybe get a little bit of heart from. First of all, the, the, the Rolls-Royce players that you mentioned there were so poor uh, at times on Saturday, they will not be that poor for the duration of the season. And second of all, I genuinely think they looked a little bit leggy. I would not have been surprised if they were down at the car doing some sort of army boot camp during the week uh, to, to sort of sort out, uh, I, I don't know, the, the, the hard people in the, the squad from the rest, because they did look um, as if they they had come off a pretty hard training session, to be honest with you. Not too dissimilar to, to how Tyrone looked in Killarney last year. So those are moments that can give them hope. But mm. I think it's inarguable at this point that they've come back to the 
unpack a little bit. And most worryingly, uh, it's the exact same failings in that second half against Mayo that showed up again on Saturday night. And if this form doesn't come back, like we will rewind to that halftime against Mayo last year and say, well, what a pivotal moment that was because ever since then, they haven't re- really shown anything resembling their previous composure, their previous game plan. And, and on uh, when they were chasing the game in the final quarter on Saturday, they did resort to Hail Marys, which was a, a very un-Dublin thing. Again, the caveat for that, I guess, Joe, is that they haven't been chasing too many games in the past. So uh, I guess when they got their noses in front in all the big games over the last few years, they had a way of, of, of staying in front. Whereas when they were chasing a game, well, we didn't actually get to find out that much about Dublin. Yeah, so we'll start the news round. Billy Joe is going to join us this hour. Billy Joe Padden around half past seven. The news round is brought to you by Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. And Richie, there is a news. Greater Manchester Police have certainly released a statement on Mason Greenwood. Yeah, they have been granted extra time to question Mason Greenwood today. The Manchester United forward was arrested yesterday after allegations of rape and domestic abuse were shared online. Greenwood's sponsors, Nike, have suspended their relationship with the player, saying they're deeply disturbed by the allegations. Police have also warned against online commentary on the case. Yeah, we're incredibly restricted right across uh, the media landscape on what can be said at this stage of a potential criminal proceeding. And it's very notable the police came out as well and made a plea as part of that statement, which you alluded to, Richie. We remind people to avoid any commentary or sharing of images that could compromise the victim's right to lifelong anonymity or risk uh, prejudicing a live investigation with active proceedings. And uh, they were making that plea loud and clear as part of their statement. Uh, Manchester United released two statements yesterday, uh, the first in the morning where they said they were aware of images and allegations and they wouldn't be making any further comment until facts have been established. And then subsequent to that in the afternoon, they released a second statement where they said Greenwood would not be returning to training or to playing matches until further notice. So that is where we are as of Monday evening on this story. Greater Manchester Police have been granted extra time to question Mason Greenwood. Now, Everton then, Richie, they've got their man and it's Frank Lampard. It is. He was finally unveiled as Everton's new manager today, signing a two and a half year contract to replace Rafa Benitez at Goodison Park. Former Chelsea assistant Paul Clement will be on his coaching staff. Duncan Ferguson and ex-Republic of Ireland goalkeeper Alan Kelly will remain on his backroom team. And Lampard told Everton's YouTube channel today that he's aware of the challenges that are facing the Toffees and now him this season. Well, this is a position we're in and I've watched closely from the outside. And now I'm in, I think, the first thing as a football club when you're having tough times and, and this happens you know this happens is that you you regain the confidence and you and you get together and we, we keep talking here about players and fans that's a group thing but in terms of what we can control as players we have to work hard we have to be focused but we have to have confidence it's a good squad it's a good bunch of players it's a good team and I think when things are hard and sometimes things are tough there's a lot of criticism that can be thrown around I'm here to change that and try and make it a positive message for the players believe in themselves to show that we have more than enough talent to move up the table but it's easy to speak like that we actually have to do obviously Ah this club are doomed Owen we're two years (laughs) two years into a pandemic and this is the microphone quality that they're coming at me with (laughs) It's unacceptable That is unacceptable He's underwater it's a it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Only a, only a proper radio man would uh, would spot that. So I just thought that was a it was a reflection on your opinion on on Frank Lampard there, which oh, I dare well. say is maybe not too too dissimilar from that anyway. 
But uh, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's it, it's interesting getting their manager on transfer deadline day and wondering how much of an impact he actually has on some of the new recruits. I think Danny Van de Beek has already mentioned in his Everton interview. Haven't heard the the phone quality on that one or the audio quality. Uh, he's already mentioned the, the the excitement of working with the new coach and playing against him in the Champions League and all that. And uh, I know they're in a tug of war at the moment with Newcastle over over Deli Ali. Mm. But if you bring in Danny Van de Beek, Deli Ali, and Frank Lampard into the club in the same week. It's not going to be dull over the next little while. There are three men who have a point to prove, both as a manager and as players. So there's hope there with all three aspects of that, but there's also plenty of reason to, to doubt their potential this season as well. Yeah, Rich, I know it's your next story. You might give us the details yeah. on, on Everton's new signings. Yeah, Lampard wasting little time getting his feet under the table at Goodison. Deli Ali underwent a medical this evening ahead of a 12 million euro move from Tottenham. That 12 million will only be paid, by the way, if he plays 20 games for the Toffees. And as uh, Owen alluded to there, Donny van der Beek has signed a loan deal from Manchester United. He's just been in, unveiled online uh, in the past half hour or so. What an insult to Deli Ali. This actually shows where his stock is that it's a 10 million pound deal which again is not that much when you consider the heights he was uh, climbing relatively recently but also it's contingent on 20 appearances not 200 not 100 not 30 20 measly appearances is uh, not guaranteed here it's a strange clause in a contract I don't remember seeing anything like that before or hearing anything of that before so uh, where Deli Ali goes is going to be fascinating and how Donny van de Beek does is going to be fascinating and as for Lampard do you know, I thought in, in time-honoured tradition, Chelsea had shown a lack of patience to Lampard. I thought he was doing OK. It looked like a... It looked, I hasten to add, like a, a squad which was out of sync and out of balance and just not quite fitting together and, and work needed to be done <laughs> and the younger players were coming through and just all needed, needed a lot of time to kind of bed in a little bit. And then, of course, Tuchel arrives and sorts it out in a week. And that, in turn, casts a shadow over the job Lampard was doing so this is the litmus test I would say to you Rich this is where we yeah. you know in six months time we'll have a really good feel for how Lampard's doing but he needs longer than six months because well, Everton yeah. are in so much of a state at the minute but what if, what if Thomas term- Tuchel replaces him at Everton and sorts well, it out in I'd, know, I'd say I'd say even the magical Thomas Tuchel might have a, a hard time uh, untangling the knots that have been tied by the board and successive managers at Everton yeah. there's no direction there and it's been borne out by their signings over the last while and you could even say the signings of Deli Ali and Donny van de Beek uh, continue that trend tonight because van de Beek like you've, as, as Owen said there there's three men with a point to prove the law of averages suggests that not all three of them are actually going to prove that point at Everton over the next six months so there's going to be at least one failure among that three Lampard will hope to God it's not him Van de Beek can't have it be him because the stock will fall so rapidly and, and by the way things are going Deli Ali will be back at MK Dons within 18 months because oh. he's he's been so poor over the last while but like like if that does if that if that clause doesn't light a fire under him then nothing will. I know. If the fact that, you know, we're betting the fact that we will pay £10 million for you if you can just get over the line in 20 games, then, you know, he has to actually book up his ideas and get it together because that won't be any more of a um, an impetus for him to do it. But, like, the Everton squad are full of those players. Like, they're absolutely full of players that they've signed that might be on their last. Like, these, the reason they bought Deli Ali for such a paltry fee, by the way, is because the Van de Beek signing brings them up to their limit of loan signings because they allowed Rafa Benitez bring Anwar El Ghazi in from Aston Villa on a loan deal and they suddenly find that they don't need him so you've like got all of these players who are completely superfluous to their needs at Everton they're trying to find a best 11 that they can possibly feel now that a lot of them and they've sold some of their best players over the last while like Luca Dina because of a fallout with their manager who they've since sacked 
so like you try and make any kind of logic out of Everton and he'd be doing well over the yeah. next while I wish Frank the best look he does come across as a very likeable character um, I think given I more yeah, time at Chelsea I, things I, probably could have worked out I didn't think you'd but, be a, I didn't think you would like Lampard as a character I, as, do you know what as a, man, as a manager I, I thought he did a decent enough job at Derby uh, albeit with a bunch of fairly high profile loan signings from Chelsea um, I thought at, at Chelsea like you say he did okay but okay is never going to cut it at that yeah. club I think okay will cut it at Everton but he just needs time to actually untangle those messes mm. because in terms of recruitment for the last decade they have been a shambles Deli Alley to be sitting on 19 appearances in three years time you <laughs> heard it here first uh, text in Brian where has this conveyor belt of Dublin talent gone no talk now of splitting the dubs into two Frank makes the not unreasonable point forget Dublin just how good were our ma yes they were very good and pitched up in great shape and Irene O'Neill exceptional and uh, Jarlath Ogue exceptional as well I'm sure you're going to get a sense of his uh, marauding up the left hand side on being at the stadium really came across on TV uh, somebody else worrying times for us true blues I reckon we'll probably only win three of the next five all Ireland's is uh, <laughs> text in yeah I mean it's going to be interesting because so Kerry are still not the, the finished product uh, I, I don't think Tyrone have anybody quaking uh, Mayo or Mayo so I don't know what are we saying here about Dublin on if you had to put your uh, neck on the line if there was a gun to your head as to who would win the All-Ireland based on the evidence of weekend one in January you'd be giving serious thoughts of the dubs still or no you're writing them off totally no no because if you look around the, the rest of the division obviously as you say Kerry the following day Tyrone haven't ever gone back to back that's a really big issue with them I mean, do you need any explanation on, on Mayo or Donegal and what they've shown over the last couple of years? Yeah. And, and Monaghan ha- have proved along with Armagh that they haven't been able to take that next leap. Armagh are the one team in that Division 1 who you can say they are travelling in an upward trajectory and will keep going that way for some time. They are well-placed to become the next Monaghan, as in to get within a, a, to uh, get within reach of an All-Ireland semi-final and potentially win one. That is how high their ceiling is. But it's also because the ceiling has lowered a little bit because Dublin aren't what mm. they were. And it makes for a really exciting year. And on top of that, you've got Armagh playing the sort of football that they are. If that's winning games, that you're going to throw that into the mix for, uh, for a championship where we don't know the outcome of. So it could be great football, it could be great drama, and they're the only two things you can ask for looking ahead for a championship. Hmm. And did it feel in the stadium like Armagh were wonderfully direct in comparison with Dublin? Yeah, yeah, it, it did. And even at times, to be honest, early in the, the, the first quarter, I kind of felt that Armagh could have been more direct. Now, I mean, if you compare the statistics of who played the, the more balls into the opposition 21-yard uh, line, I'm sure Armagh completely kills Dublin on, on that statistic. But there, there was even a sense at the start from Armagh, it was like, are we actually able to do this? And yeah. like when Reno Neal gets in for that first one, where I think it's Davy Byrne who, who misses the ball, like I think it's after that moment that they're like, all right, this is working. But just on that point, it's really interesting because it felt like Croke Park as a pitch did not benefit Dublin whatsoever on Saturday night. That direct ball, the open spaces, really went in Armagh's favour. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Dublin would be better suited to playing in Trinity now this this Saturday night as opposed to at the open spaces of Croker. Interesting. thought you were going to say move their games to Parnell Park for <laughs> a moment. So, Rich, I'll let you blitz through a few of these stories here because there's, there's a bit yeah. going on. 
Yeah, deadline days, we all know. And Tottenham, arguably the busiest of the Premier League clubs today. They have signed Rodrigo Bentancur and Dejan Kulisevsky from Juventus. Bentancur has cost Spurs an initial 19 million euro, while Kulisevsky's alone the agreement until the end of next season that will cost Tottenham 10 million. Heading out the exit door, aside from Deli Ali today, are Tongi and Dombele, who's rejoined Leon on loan. Brian Heal has rejoined Valencia. That's on loan until the end of this season. And Giovanni Lo Celso is a loan deal uh, for Villarreal. Arguably, the story of deadline day has occurred in West London just over seven months since his cardiac arrest playing for Denmark at Euro 2020. Christian Eriksen is back in football. He has signed a short-term deal with Brentford. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang had looked set for a low move from Arsenal to Barcelona. However, Arsenal are unwilling to pay any of the strikers' wages should he sign for Barca. But Barcelona president Joan Laporta claims a potential deal is complicated tonight but not dead. Aubameyang, pardon me, it seems is on his way to Spain again uh, for a medical. Despite interest in Newcastle and West Ham, Manchester United have blocked Jesse Lingard from leaving the club. The winger is out of contract in the summer. Newcastle were believed to be willing to pay a loan fee, a survival bonus and all of his wages, but United have still said no. Rangnick was happy for him to leave. The United board, not so much. Aaron Ramsey is set to join Rangers on loan from Juventus with a view to making that deal permanent. Matt Phillips has joined Championship Promotion Hopefuls Bournemouth on loan from Liverpool, while Manchester City have confirmed the signing of Julian Alvarez from River Plate, but he'll remain with the Buenos Aires Giants until July. Burnley, meanwhile, they've replaced Chris Wood with the 14 million euro signing of six foot six Wout Veghorst from Wolfsburg, and former Dundalk winger Dylan Connolly has moved up a division in England by joining League One side Morecambe from Northampton. Here at home, Bohemians have signed Jordan Flores, also from Northampton Town, the former Dundalk midfielder, of course, a Pushcast Award nominee for a volley scored against Shamrock Rovers in March of 2020. Miguel Delaney is going to join us in the football show just to round everything up. I do fully suspect that this Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang situation has Peter Anamungi vibes I think there's going to be amazing footage later on of him knocking around the Barcelona training ground car park I don't know quite what's going on there I think they have to sell a player or two to get him in the door I think there's been some talk he's claiming he's just on a personal holiday over there at the moment so uh, watch that space and the Christian Eriksen one is very interesting so uh, post his cardiac arrest he was fitted with an implanted cardioverter defibrillator an ICD as it's also known and you're not allowed to play in Serie A with an ICD fitted you are allowed to play in the Premier League hence his decision to come back to England so uh, that's a really interesting story which we might touch on in the uh, football show as well uh, Andy Farrell has that strangest of things Rich clean bill of health yeah, to some degree at least. Anyway, Ty Furlong, James Ryan and Ian Henderson will return to full training tomorrow, Tuesday, of course, usually uh, the most important day from a selection point of view. They will follow the lead of Keith Earls, Joey Carberry and Josh van der Flyer, who have shaken off their respective injuries to take a full part in training this week. Oh, and you had Ron Agar on this morning. Anything mm-hmm. he said there, uh, catch your ear, catch your eye? Well, like, I mean, I guess given his perspective on France at the moment, I mean, he's kind of reflecting on the, the huge excitement that they have for, for this year, for the next 18 months, I guess, that this is, if we're thinking that we go into fever pitch around the World Cup and getting obsessed with the World Cup 18 months out, well, France at the moment, on a complete other level, uh, he kind of touched on the fact that there's no worries about the likes of Antoine Dupont being handed the captaincy. I know Eddie Jones tried to twist the knife a little bit on that last week, but this is a guy who's well able to to handle it and maybe we perhaps don't even realise or completely appreciate just how guy, good this guy is. But at the same time, he was listening to, to Oren say, I think, and there is concern about the fact that they haven't won a championship in 11 years. So that's a it's a very curious thing where there is this consensus around the favourites mm. and there's also a fact that the favourites haven't done the business in 11 years. So should be a good championship. I mean, it's a kind of feeling a, a similar level of excitement around this year's championship as I am about the, the Gaelic football championship. 
championship to be honest in terms of not being sure about who's going to win it yeah it's wide open I mean geez, even uh, park yourself in front of the couch next Saturday for Ireland Wales followed by England against Scotland which should be a cracker not least given the two out halves followed by Kerry Dublin that's your Saturday sorted out uh, just a quick mention Rich because time is against us uh, Roy McElroy broke some hearts yesterday he did indeed I'm guessing yours Joe more than anybody yes, else I, 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 I was aghast frankly yeah. I was uh, open mouth Richie he threw away a golden chance for victory at the Dubai Desert Classic needing only to play the last two holes in one under par McElroy parred the 17th and imploded on the last carrying a double bogey which meant he finished third uh, the winning cheque of 1.2 million euro was collected by Victor Hovland who beat Richard Bland at the first playoff hole after both finished the weekend on 12 under par oh, did you catch any of this rewatching this? I did, yep. The, the pub in Newbridge had this on in the big screen and just groans everywhere as soon as it hit the water. Because we were saying to one another, this is going to happen. Like He's going he's gonna to hit the water here. And yeah. it was just because of the interminable wait. It was just because there was no commentary on. We just glanced over every few minutes. And Rory was still standing over this one shot. And I wasn't quite sure what he had out. It was obviously a three wood after mm. I read back on it afterwards. And I don't know, Joe. Was it, was it just the wrong club? Because he didn't. it's not even one of those where, where it hits the green and rolls off. He was miles away. No, he just mishit it. Uh, it was the right club. He was 267 yards. He just shouldn't have. He shouldn't have gone for it in two. Well, it, what was strange was he hit three wood off the tee, uh, presumably knowing he was going to go for it in two. And so Victor Hovland in the playoff, for instance, went for it in two, but he had 230 yards in. McElroy left himself 267, which is not nothing, you know. And I suppose it's it's what makes him box office, but there was just no need to do it because if he got on in three, it's a guaranteed birdie put to win the tournament. And if he misses the birdie put, he's in the playoff. Uh, so, of course, strategy or situation management is is uh, occasionally thrown at McElroy. I think that was a an instance of it. It's questionable, to say the least. You, you mentioned him being box office there. It was interesting because we were chatting to, to Nathan on OTBAM last week and he was saying that you, we don't get the John Van de Velde moments anymore in golf. People are too good. Uh-huh. There's one man who's still giving you those moments. Yeah. So you can't really deny that he's uh, not making things exciting. But that's a very glass half full, full way of looking at yesterday. Yeah, it is. I suspect as well, Victor Hovland, there's a terrible pun, I hadn't even meant it. Oh no. Hovering in the... Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. I couldn't think of another word. It was all I had. Uh, Victor Hovland hovering in the playoff I suspect was on his mind when he was making his decision to go for it I, I, I don't think he fancied Hovland in a playoff as well so um, yeah it wasn't good it, was, it wasn't good so um, we'll chat about that in Golf Week I'm sure this week amongst other things Owen Sheehan thanks very much Cheers Joe Richie I'll chat to you tomorrow Cheers Good stuff nice one Now, Diane Gallagher in Galway won over €9,000 in the cash machine today, bringing our total money giveaway in January beyond the 183000 mark. And we are not finished yet. There is now €8,465.27 up for grabs. So to be in a chance of winning, just text the word PLAY to 57599. Get your entry in by 3 o'clock Tuesday afternoon. And then across the Go Loud network of stations, Barry Dunn will make the call. If your phone rings, answer within five rings. Tell him the exact amount in your own sense and the cash is yours. So remember again, the amount for tomorrow, €8,465.27. Text play to 57599. It's over 18s only. Text cost to your 50 plus your standard message rate to play. And you're playing across the Go Loud network of stations. Terms and conditions are on Newstalk.com. Short break, we're talking to Billy Joe Padden next.